0: most businesses are focused on the products they provide. In your experience, is this the best approach? Uh,
1: not really. Um, I, I actually have some, some fairly serious issues with this approach, Ian. Um, organizations that are focused merely on their products is what I kind of affectionately call product floggers. And that, by that, I mean, the prime purpose that they have is, is to, to push what they have to the customer okay, as opposed to waiting for what the customer wants and, and creating value around, around that. So, it's a very supply-oriented process as opposed to being demand-driven and it has its limitations. Um, organizations that compete merely on products uh, are in highly competitive businesses. I mean, there's a lot of people out there doing it and so you're going to face just a ton of competition and, uh, and the other thing about it is very price sensitive. When you have a lot of organizations pushing generally the same product, price is going to be extremely critical to the, cu- the customer. And unfortunately, when you're competing on price in that space, your business tends to be forced into what I would call a commodity status. So it's not a great place to be. Your margins are squeezed, value is diminished, and customer expectations are really way out of whack with respect to your, your overall uh, product objectives. There's a great quote by Seth Godin, who was one of my mentors, and he says, "You talk about price if you have nothing of value to offer." And so, what I would say is, products and prices, if they're led, basically implies that you're not providing value. Now, that's an extreme position, but there's a huge learning uh, message in there that that I suggest we we consider. Product-led strategies straight jacket your margins. They always do because of what we've just been discussing. And unfortunately, it does very little to engender customer loyalty when all you're doing is pushing products. So, so no, I got some really issues with it. I'm not saying an organizations with huge scale and scope aren't successful that way, but they are for different reasons. Okay. It's not just because of products. So you know, I would suggest that there are other ways that that we can be much more successful rather than focus on products.
0: I I understand, and uh, and products seem to be the way a lot of uh, businesses, retailers, and others are are leading leading their charge. Uh, but how do you adapt that, and how do you go about creating customer loyalty in the midst of that uh, that price led uh, onslaught?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a challenge, and. And I guess the first thing that we need to do is understand, uh, at least from my perspective, what what the sort of model is, right, that we consider when when, when we're going to answer that question. And I want to talk a little bit about service strategy and service quality, because this whole issue of customer loyalty fits within that conversation. There are two basic elements, well, there's three actually, but we'll we'll focus on two right now. Two basic elements of service quality or, or your service strategy. One is what I would call core service. And the second one is a service experience. So let me just talk a little bit about that. Core service is basically what an organization provides. Okay, in this case, it could be a product or service, right? It's basically what you deliver, what you supply it's what the customer gets when they do business with you. The second element is called the service experience. And that's basically about how you feel when you actually get that core service. And so when you get a product, the way it's, it's, it's actually supplied to you, right? The experience that's created around that is basically feelings oriented and that's the service experience element. Now, the interesting thing is, The core service element of of service quality uh, is something that needs to be flawlessly uh, delivered uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. If it's not, then it becomes a dissatisfier. Okay, if if your internet service isn't up 100% of the time, how do you feel? Well, you're kind of annoyed. And if it happens too frequently, you basically leave that supplier, okay? If the food quality, is, is, is kind of like mediocre, et cetera, that has a, a really interesting impact on, on customer loyalty. And so the, the rather irony here is you have to provide core service. Otherwise, you don't have a business, but it has to be flawlessly provided because if you don't, it becomes a dissatisfier. But if you do, it's not a loyalty builder. People expect you to deliver core service flawlessly. And when you do, they go, "Uh aha, okay, well, I kind of expected my internet service to be up 100% of the time, so thank you. Okay, so core service is one of those interesting elements. You have to do it. You have to invest in it, but don't count on it to provide loyalty. The loyalty comes from the second element, right, which is all about the service experience, how people feel when they get your core service. Now the objective here is really simple. You need to blow them away. You need to take their breath away. You need to dazzle them. You need to leave them breathless. Because when you do, they go, ah, I didn't expect that. What a wonderful feeling. I love this company. I love this organization. I love their people, blah, 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 blah. I'm never leaving them. Okay, and it's absolutely true. It's that second element. You leave them gasping with delight. They will never leave you. And the nice thing about that, Ian, is they tell all their friends and neighbors how wonderful you are and recommend that that they do business with you. And so the service experience piece is part of a larger service quality equation. And you have to both, you'd have to do both core service and that earns you the right to compete in the service experience game. So you have to do both, but pour your muscle into the experience because that's the source of customer loyalty. And and really, if you're looking for a way to get great referrals, you get referrals from leaving people breathless, not from making your core service work is my point. They don't go, wow, it was absolutely amazing. We got pristine in the old days dial tone when I picked up my phone. Wow, is this company ever tremendous? No, they never said that they kind of expected to get dialed on, right? And today, exactly. people expect, you promise them a gig, speed on the internet, they expect a gig. And you're, they're not gonna be loyal to you just because you did that. But if you treat them differently, now you're talking.
0: And I can see it goes hand in hand. Uh, and you had mentioned something about too, they'll tell all their friends. You let, uh, you let uh, the service experience lapse or fall or, or, or tumble. And they'll tell all their friends too. So it can work both ways.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you raise the expectations, you better be prepared to live up to those experiential expectations all the time. And that's hugely difficult for most organizations. Uh, For one simple reason, they don't plan around it. They don't strategize around it. Like what does it take to do that? You know, why should I invest in creating experiences as opposed to, increasing the benefit stream for the product and service I supply. Okay. So, so it's a, it's a leadership issue that strives to get the right balance. Hmm.
0: And, And it also seems like you want to establish the very highest watermark you can in order to continuously deliver that service experience, and then let staff know exactly where that high watermark is and say, you know, that's our minimum. And if you have a way to exceed it, even better.
1: Well, one of the things I did—it's uh, a good good point. One of the things I did in in my career is I I called I dubbed it fingerprint leadership, and one of the things that I did is is actually architected what the customer moment looked like, okay, with my organization. So some people would say that's micromanagement, and I would say yes, it is, but it's strategic micromanagement right. exactly because exactly. if you didn't do it, you couldn't be guaranteed that the moment delivered the kind of experience that you wanted. So you actually have to architect what it looks like. You've got to to create the investment stream that you need to supply it. And then you have to hold people accountable for it uh, as as you actually progress through time. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Sounds like the planogram of service experience. Um, (laughs) Right on. Yeah, Uh, so so with that, uh, what are some of the things you can do to create amazing
1: experiences for customers? So,, uh, so, one of the things that that I've discovered is language is so incredibly important in in this whole area of of talking about experiences, talking about feelings, talking about emotions, because that's fundamentally what we're talking about here. How to create those things. And i uh, so I dubbed this thing called "How do you create astonishing moments?" Mm. Right? A lot of people say, mm-hmm. "How do you exceed expectations? How yeah. do you do all this? Yeah. I said, no. What we need to do is we need to astonish. Okay, that's where I get things like gasworthiness. Okay, if you're not in the gasworthiness supply business, then you're likely not supplying the kind of experiences that we want. And so, with that as kind of like a context, then I choose the language because it evokes passion and evokes seriousness and forces you on the edge to start thinking about different things. Uh, the first thing I would say, I got, there's six points here that I'll just leave leave everybody with first of all, uh, creating astonishing moments is not a short-term fix. It's a long-term investment. Okay. So you need to have in your business, a strategy that says, we're going to create astonishing moments. That's what we're about. And, And we're going to design and architect them in a way that, that, that we will be the only ones that, that do it a certain way. Okay. So, Get your head straight. This isn't about tomorrow. This is about you know your journey starting right now. The second thing I would say is you need to hire the hire the right people, and I call them miracle workers. You need to hire miracle workers. Those are the people who you entrust with the customer transaction. Those are the people that control the moment of truth. Those are the people that deliver astonishing moments, time and time and time again. And one of the things that that I've always believed in is you need to hire them. You need to hire the people that actually have an innate desire to serve people. I call them human being lovers. If you don't have human being lovers taking care of your most precious asset, then it's very Mm -hmm. unlikely you're gonna have an astonishing moment. And it's just because they don't get it. They don't have it as part of their insides. They don't have customer astonishing moment building in their veins, and they have to have that. And so hiring people that actually like humans is exceedingly important, without which you will never supply an astonishing moment. The third thing that I would say is you need leaders that actually serve those people. And so we're building a culture here, okay, where where the frontline miracle worker is supported by a servant leader that is constantly asking the question, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? The reason for that is there's always going to be things that get in the way of the miracle worker delivering astonishing moments. And it's not because we intend it that way. They just happen because we got human beings and organizations. We got technology that's sporadic. We got all this stuff. So what you need is a, is a leadership structure that's constantly looking for ways of, of serving and helping people. The fourth thing is I would say it's kind of interesting. I've had so much fun with this. It's like our internal rules and procedures need to be built, right, to enable the customer to transact with us, not control what the customer does. Most rule systems in organizations are created to control. You got customer transaction processes, you got credit procedures, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of those things are not really, they don't fall lightly on the customer. Right? customers don't like to do business with us when there's rules that get in their face that they don't understand that they don't like okay and so one of the things that i've experienced is you need to create a rule system a policy system a process system a procedure system that's built to serve the customer and 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 i did a lot of work in my career just bringing customers in and making them part of the process the re-engineering team now, how crazy was that? I had a bunch of engineers sitting around the table. They weren't impressed that I brought, you know, uh, you know, Harry Harry Smith, you know, from a, a major hotel down in Vancouver to sit here and and help us build rules. The internal auditors think that's that's their turf. Okay, well, it's right. not. No, we need to build them to take care of customers. Yeah. and I think <laughs> I think uh, the the last thing here is is about empowerment. You kind of touched on that, Ian, a little bit. Um, you need to empower the miracle worker to do what's right. Okay. You need to empower the miracle worker to bend the rules when they don't make sense in that moment. Now I'm not talking about giving away the ship and the farm because frontline people don't do that. All right. If you ever want to find an employee that's got the basics of the business at heart with respect to customers, it's a frontline person. Okay. But, but it doesn't work when you put them in a straitjacket and force stupid rules through them, right? And bind the customer transaction so that it's dysfunction. So empowerment is really important. And the other thing is treat this as an investment. This is not a cost to be controlled. Okay. The creation of astonishing moments, if you want to be in the astonishing moments creation business is an investment. Okay, it's not a cost. Like a lot of people say to me, Roy, I can't afford to do that, right? Our margins won't handle it. And I say, well, this isn't a cost. You need to build a business case, right? And, and impose targets and performance metrics, right? That have re- has retention as the essence of customer loyalty expression as part of the system. And then you make an investment around that. Too many people think about it, as, oh shoot, I can't afford to do that. I can't, I can't afford my 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 rep to spend more time with the customer. Well, that's thinking about the business from a cost point of view. And that's not what I'm suggesting. It, customer loyalty is a hard number. If you lose 10% of your customers in a year, that's a hard number. Right. Why wouldn't you invest in keeping some of them? So that's what I'm talking about here. So there's some pretty simple things you can do to create. <laughs> astonishing moments and uh and by the way yeah it's fun doing them in
0: oh i can imagine i can imagine and you know to have to go to a customer and say sorry i can't uh you know it, it and being on the receiving end of some of those those statements myself it just drives me up the wall <laughs> or as i say it steams my clams it frosts my pumpkin you know <laughs> when they say i'm sorry we're not able to review this for another six months i go
1: I beg your pardon, you know? Oh, know. It, and, and and you go and talk and you tell people about it. Exactly. And that's exactly, I mean, that's that's what, unfortunately, what happens. Now, the, the flip of that is also true. Okay, when you have an astonishing moment, you tend to tell people about that. Tell people about it, yep. And you, and, but, and, but the way you express yourself when you've been blown away is a little different than, than when you've been pissed off, right?
0: Ooh, ooh yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, typically my voice lowers and i say what what you've just prejudiced is the entire lifetime sales of myself my immediate family my extended family my business networks my personal networks for the rest of my life yeah and by the uh, way you know there's a uh, 4322 contacts around the world in my phone <laughs> and i'll tell them
1: yeah exactly and you anyway, do yeah. But,
0: but anyway, I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic, but it, 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 uh, it, uh, it burns a lot of people. I'm sure the listeners will understand because they've had that personal experience. Um, so it, you've written a great deal about call centers and the service levels they provide. Uh, what are your thoughts about those?
1: Yeah, so call centers are fundamentally a part of, of organizations' service function. And they are more and more predominant. And they're getting uh, they're getting placed in various places throughout the world, uh, but I've got some real concerns about them. And, and the main reason I've got an issue is that that the prime concern of a call center is to minimize costs. I know this because I ran them in my career. Okay, it's like um, uh, it's like looking at the customer, for example, as a call. So this is a call processing environment, and the objective is. To reduce and minimize the costs associated with processing a call. Now, nowhere is the customer's name even mentioned in that. Okay, so it's a call coming in. The objective is get the call processed and ended as quickly as you can. Okay, because that way you can you can minimize uh, costs. Um, and so, you know, fundamentally, you know, with that sort of paradigm in mind, operating processes, um, it's, it, they don't lead okay, to what you and I have just discussed. They right. don't lead to astonishing moments other than bad astonishing moments when you've been on, on the line for like an hour waiting for a rep to, to, to answer your call. And the other issues, of course, is now that they're, they, they be, they're being outsourced to all over the world. And so there's all sorts of uh, interesting problems that, that go with outsourcing. That's for sure. So customer satisfaction around call centers have always been missing in action because look at the performance metrics were how long does a customer have to wait before they get a call? How long or before they get a rep? How long are they on? Okay. Never. Okay. In that whole equation was the question, how'd we do for you? How well did hmm. that go? Right? Did you get your needs satisfied? Did we blow you away? Et cetera, et cetera. So it's an extremely internal um, uh, organization with a focus on the bottom line. Now listen, there are, there are, there's one example of an organization that that does it differently. And the company uh, is a company called Zappos that operates out of Las Vegas. The CEO, unfortunately, may his may he rest in peace, is no longer with us. A young man called Tony Shea one of the most inf- insightful leaders that I've ever seen in my life. He redefined his the call center environment within his strategy to deliver happiness. So his overall goal, now somebody may say that's aspirational, and I would, until I really got to understand how he translated that down to operations in the bottom line. So under, under his delivering happiness notion, Ian, he created what he called loyalty centers. Now these were in-sourced call centers. Okay, so the call center was insourced. Its function was to deliver happiness. And so the metrics of traditional call centers went out the window. So what Tony said was, did we dazzle the client when while we had them on the phone? Mm. Oh, we don't know? Good. We're going to measure that. So we set up this metric system and ba- all based on. On customer perception, did we blow you away? See, that's the other thing. Too many people go to internal statistics to try and and track things where I took the exact opposite approach. I said, if you want to find out if a customer had an astonishing moment, G, ask them. They will Mm -hmm. tell you either, yes, we did and why we did, or they will say no, and they'll tell you why they didn't. Okay. Internal statistics can't do that. And so what Tony did is he set this up under his strategic plan, which I loved. We're going to deliver happiness. The difference between that and we're going to save the home planet, which we'll talk about later, is the fact that he drilled it down into specifics. And one of them happened to be his loyalty centers, which he insourced and, and paid people on the basis of creating astonishing moments. It was a core competency of his business, this call center. So, just imagine the conversation we just had. It's all about cost. No, to Zappos, it was all about a core competency that he leveraged to deliver happiness to people. And because he knew he understood that when they were happy, they were buying shoes. Now, a lot of people criticized him of this until because they said, well, how can you monetize the creation of happiness in a business? Well, I don't know, but he sold it to Bezos for a billion. Oh, so there you go. There you go. There's a monetization. Boom. There's yeah. a monetization of happiness. <laughs> wow.
0: Isn't that something as well? Um, you know, my most recent experience was, uh, and I always try to engage people when I know it's a call center. I said, uh, hi, and uh, greetings from the West coast of Canada. Where are you today? And the voice came back and said, Kingston. I went, oh, Ontario. He said, no, a little further South. It was in Jamaica. <laughs> well, anyway, and you can't tell a, a SCADA bank uh, when the, the person answers the phone. Hi, can I help you? Oh, where are you from today? Oh, I'm down in Alabama. Oh, oh, how lovely Canadian <laughs> bank, Alabama call center. Anyway, it just, it just strikes me. But thank you for mentioning those. Anyway, um, I guess we have to talk faster because, you know, we're on a time deadline. So, Roy, what's your view on using AI tools to provide customer service?
1: Yeah, look, at this is a really important question, okay, because artificial intelligence is being deployed uh, everywhere, and, and it, not the least of which is, is installing it in a customer service environment. Um, as far as I'm concerned, AI tools are simply tools. They're tools, they're tactics, okay, and, and, and the, the most effective deployment of them need to be viewed within a context of strategy. Okay, so what I would suggest that, that, that people do is by all means, look at AI, okay, as a potential solution, but but please understand the problem. There's too much of automatic deployment of sexy tech tactical tools like AI, right? And, and social media, there's very, very much part of the day. And I don't denigrate that. But what I'm saying is you need to rationalize their application for you within a context of your strategy. So use AI where it makes sense. Like for me, it makes absolute sense to use AI in functions like frequently FAQs, right? Or yep. well, yep. providing product information and so forth. But what I'm seeing is there some organizations who are actually trying to use AI as a customer complaint device. You cannot build an algorithm Okay, to handle a customer complaint every, every time. And by the way, remember astonishing moments? Right. The only way to build astonishing moments in a customer complaint environment is to have somebody with the intuition and empathy and communication skills that can weed out the problem and deal with it. You can't develop an algorithm for that, Ian. No. I don't care what anybody says. You can't do it because you cannot formularize behavior. To the extent that you need to in this environment of trying to build uh, astonishing moments, so AI may have their application, but it is not okay in the world that you and I are just trying to talk about about dazzling okay. moments and breathtaking uh, experiences. And so, what I would say to our members is: by all means, look at AI, but please have a strategic context within which you look at this tool, because that's all it is is, is a tool. It ain't a strategy, and by the way, when everybody uses the same AI uh, tactic on the same thing, you're just becoming part of a larger herd, anyways, and so you're losing any ability to be different. And that's what we're trying to help with you with here is to be different. Hmm. So be cautious of the me and be cautious.
0: Yeah, no, I like answering stupid. Qu- I like asking stupid questions. I just go through my grocery list and I go <laughs> zucchini hit. I'm sorry, they haven't got a subject called zucchini, you know, you know, um, anyway, exactly right. It's exactly and, right. And, and, you know, they're, they're trying to second guess what question you're going to ask and what box it fits in and what we can pop up to satisfy this. Because frankly, you know, we don't have frontline staff or we figure this will lower our costs. Right. So well, instead that, of, okay,
1: that's a very good point. That's exactly why they're being deployed as a cost minimization tool, not as an experience enhancement tool. You cannot use artificial intelligence to effectively replace the human-to-human transaction experience. You can't do it, okay? I know some people would like to believe that. Yeah. I've read articles about, wow, how, how AI is, is, is exceeding customer expectations. That's crap. It ain't.
0: They haven't picked up the phone and talk to me, i tell them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or you.
0: <laughs> right on. They haven't got to yeah. me yet. Exactly. So, Roy, just uh, in closing, what would be the one piece of advice you would give a business leader who wants to improve the service they provide to their customers?
1: Yeah, I want to go back. I want to go back to one of the questions that we dealt with earlier, because I think it's the key thing. Yeah. It's like action comes from strategy, comes from vision. OK,
0: yeah.
1: So I think what I would suggest is that 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 members. Really spend some time thinking about the fact that they, that they want to be in, I'll call it a couple of things, the experience creation business, the astonishing moments delivery business, everything around the experience. If you thought about it that way, like Tony Shea, he wanted to deliver happiness, but he didn't stop there. He built a whole business around that philosophy of creating happiness, including, as I mentioned before, the call center. So what I would say is think about yourself in the experience creation business and start to build a process, right? Complete with processes and procedures and and accountabilities and, and, and customer transaction tools, okay, that allows the delivery of astonishing moments. If you thought about your business that way, you will, in fact, have a different view of your product and service Mm. because your product would plug and play into an experience background. And I'll give you one example of somebody that I believe has done it really well. Gentleman called Sir Richard Branson. Uh. This guy created a model of customer service and he was really good at it. And what he did, interestingly, Ian, is he transplanted this model into various businesses that he bought. He didn't know anything about the airline's business when he bought it, but he transplanted this customer service model he had in his head into that airline, and it's done well. Didn't know anything about banking, transplanted the service model in there. And so that's an example of somebody having kind of like a core competency in his head about how to do it, right? And he shrink-wrapped it with some modifications and applied it in different businesses. And so it really does work, plus it gives you a completely different way of building your business. Think about this, guys. Experiences drive growth, drive growth, drive growth, drive margins, okay? Products are, quote, a necessary part of that, gotcha. but they're not all of it. The experience is all of it.